Okay, so we are on season four and we're talking about DNA. This is a pretty long chapter and this individual module is also really long. I'm gonna be discussing eukaryotic gene transcription. So that is DNA to mRNA. However, I'll also be discussing the differences between DNA and RNA as well as um, RNA processing. Okay, so uh, for uh, the transformation from pre-mRNA to mature RNA, or mature mRNA. Uh, so let's begin with eukaryotic gene transcription. That's just a flowery way of saying transcription. That's the big, that's the official title, eukaryotic gene transcription. Okay, transcription in eukaryotes. Uh, so remember that genes are stored in the nucleus. We've actually, we've covered that before. Remember that the genome, that your, the DNA sequence that makes you you, your genetic code is in your nucleus. We know this. It's a sequence of nucleotides in your nucleus. However, ribosomes, which allow you know, us to make use of that gene, that code, that genetic code, these ribosomes are present really far away. They're in the cytosol, which is the aqueous component of cytoplasm. Uh, again, I've kind of started saying this, and I'm going to continue to. They remember, this isn't a high school bio class now. We're talking about MCAT biology, so it's not enough to say cytoplasm anymore. Uh, cytosol is the aqueous component of cytoplasm, uh, you know, because we're interested in medicine. Think about plasma, the plasma component of blood, right? Plasma is the liquidy part of blood that decreases its viscosity. So this presents a unique issue, which is that the genes needing to reach the ribosomes uh, to deliver the instructions for protein synthesis are really far away. Okay, they're not right next to each other. So what, you know, our solution is the overall process of transcription, which is basically that the gene instructions are uh, written are written in the DNA nucleotide language, if you will, are transcribed to a portable form. Okay, that's really if you want to sum up transcription. That's what it is, is you're taking your original sequence and you're making it more portable and accessible and small. And I'll actually get that into it in just a sec. Um, uh, so these, so the portable form is known as mRNA. It's a type of mRNA. It's a type of RNA called mRNA, messenger RNA. Uh, and mRNA transcripts, uh, the mRNA sequence or the mRNA transcript travels to ribosomes to deliver protein synthesis instructions. Okay. Uh, and I'll give you just, uh, you know, a more official sounding definition. Gene transcription is the creation of portable genes or mRNA transcripts. Those two things are the same thing. And so now I, I told you I'd, I'd get into it. mRNA is both smaller and a more mobile gene form, okay? And what do I mean by more mobile? It's, it's very portable, right? It moves very easily. And we'll actually talk about this in mRNA processing, um, which is also in this module. Uh, but it's what do we mean by smaller, though? Smaller as in it's single-stranded, right? DNA is double-stranded. Uh, uh, RNA is single-stranded. So it's literally like half it, you know half of the double helix, right? It's one helix. So it's smaller and more portable. Think of it, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get too much into it because there's a review playlist, but think of it as DNA being the, you know, the entire um, in-depth uh, instructions for, you know, say you want to cook uh, chicken dinner, okay? And you go on the internet and you find instructions, but you also find some pictures and you find some reviews and you find some author's tips and comments and tricks and various ingredients that you can use. That would be DNA. All, every single thing you need to produce the protein. RNA, specifically in this case, mRNA, is the just the instructions, okay? No BS, basically. Cut, cuts out all the extra flowery stuff, just the instructions, how am I going to make this protein? And so that's kind of the distinction between them. Structurally, DNA and RNA look very different, but they're actually so similar. There's literally just two things, uh, one of which actually doesn't even show up in the structure itself for most of us, and I'll expand on that in a bit. Um, so if we're, if we're taking, if we're starting with DNA and 
you know, uh, transforming it to RNA, if you will. That's not what's happening in transcription, by the way. Transcription is we're taking DNA and using it as a, as a blueprint. So we're looking at DNA and making RNA from it. I'm giving you an example of just to show you the difference between DNA and RNA. Say we had DNA and we wanted to, we could, you know, rearrange the molecule as we wanted to and say we wanted to make RNA, we would just do two things. We would hydroxylate the second prime deoxyribose, and number two, we would demethylate each thymine, okay? Uh, so this is in the context of those pentagon structures you've seen of the sugars, deoxyribose, or ribose, if you've seen them drawn out, where it is, it's five uh, carbons and there's an O at the top, it's, it's arranged in a pentagon shape. Um, so number one, hydroxylate the, the two prime deoxyriboses. In other words, add a hydroxyl group to the two prime carbon of each deoxyribose sugar. So take your deoxyribose sugar, right? It has the base on the right side. We don't need to draw that. It has the phosphate group on the left side at, at the five prime carbon. It has the three prime carbon and all that stuff. And it has the O at the top of the pentagon. Remember that it's not a perfect pentagon. The O breaks the pentagon. And so counting from the right, right? So you take the O, go one to the right. That's your first prime carbon one and then the carbon after that is your second prime carbon. Usually that has an H there. And by usually I mean in DNA. In RNA, however, that H is changed to an OH, okay? Everything else is OH. On the um, the first, third, and fourth prime carbons, they all already have OHs. Uh, but in DNA, it has an H on that two prime. Uh, in RNA, all of them have OHs. Okay, that's the easy way of it, to think about it. Number two is you demethylate each thymine, okay? So you, you basically cut off the methyl group. That's kind of obvious. And what do we get when we cut off this methyl group? We get what's called uracil, right? Because we know that uh, RNA doesn't involve or have ever have thymine at all. Thymine is specifically for DNA. Uracil is for RNA. But what I'm telling you is that urine, uracil and thymine are so similar. They're not, because when you think about it, you think of them as two separate molecules, right? Nope, they're not. Uracil has X amount of carbons, uh, uh, X amount of yeah carbons, and thymine has X plus one. You literally just add a methyl group on one side. I'm not going to explain the structure of it uh, because that's going to be hard to explain uh, um, auditorily, if you will. Um, but that's that's it. Uracil, add a methyl group to uracil, and you've got thymine. So that's the difference. And a lot of you can remember that thymine is to DNA as uracil is to RNA, but we don't realize how similar those two molecules are. They differ by one methyl group. And for those of you who have taken organic chemistry, you know that a methyl group is really just an extra carbon with the H's, you know, they come automatically. So again, I just want to recap the two things. If we're starting at DNA and going to RNA, which again is just our own example, that's not the process of transcription. If we're taking DNA and we're going to RNA, we do two things. We hydroxylate and we demethylate. Hydroxylate at the second prime carbon and demethylate thymine to uracil. That's I've actually drawn a number of um, interpretations of this, but I'm going to skip all that because it gets kind of confusing and I feel like I've been pretty clear about this. Note that although um, writing DNA hydroxylate uh, and demethylate to RNA, like with an arrow, is helpful to picture the overall process. Conversion does not happen this linearly. And what I mean by that is you don't take DNA and just, you know, do exactly what we did. You just replace this H with H with an OH. Rather, a pre-existing supply of ribose and uracil are used to make mRNA from scratch, okay? So you don't, you don't convert DNA to, MR, to RNA. And I, I, I've been saying that, right? I, I said, this is just an example. This is not the process of transcription but I just want to cement it in that DNA is not convert. It's not like we take a DNA, put it in this machine and out pops RNA. Okay. Transcription it happens completely differently. And even the production of other forms of RNA, not mRNA, even those forms, uh, those are made from scratch. They're not made from DNA. 
So now I'm going to transition into uh, a couple, actually very few, just four distinctions between DNA and RNA. Number one, the bonds between them, the bonds between uh, the nucleotides in DNA, because both of them are nucle nucleic acids, right? And their subunit is the nucleotide. Um, bonds between nucleotides for DNA are phosphodiester, and they're also phosphodiester for RNA because they're both nucle nucleic acids. So those match. The bonds between them are the same. The sugar in the nucleotides, you know this, DNA has deoxyribose, RNA has ribose. The nucleobases are A, T, G, and C for DNA, which is adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. For RNA, it's adenine, uracil, guanine, and cytosine. So just really exchange thymine out for uracil. Finally, the DNA, the primary function of DNA is information storage. The Khan Academy doesn't actually list a primary function of RNA. We can figure out why, right? Because I've already talked to you guys a lot about the many, many different functions of RNA, right? If you remember from, I believe, actually the first module of this podcast, the Central Dogma of Molecular Biology, I told you about uh, conflicting theories to information flow. I think that was the second, second episode, I'm sorry. The second episode where uh, the, we discussed various uses of RNA. So RNA, RNA is very used in many different things, right? We have tRNA, RNA retroviruses, uh, epigenetics, all that stuff. But DNA is one that kind of seems to have a singular primary function, which is information storage. The module also makes um, mention of the the different enzymes that sound very similar um, involved in DNA and RNA, for example, specifically DNA polymerase and RNA polymerase too. Um, and they sound very similar and they actually do quite similar things. So it just draws the distinction. Uh, remember that DNA polymerase uses a single DNA strand as a template to synthesize a complementary strand. Okay. So DNA strand plus that DNA polymerase yields a complementary DNA strand. Okay. So it makes more DNA. RNA polymerase, on the other hand, RNA polymerase 2, uses the DNA strand as the template to, uh, to produce a complementary RNA strand, which is the mRNA strand in transcription. I've actually just described the, the process of transcription. Okay, so let me, let me kind of zoom out a little. DNA polymerase uses DNA as a template. In, in other words, if you think about it chemically, DNA is both the reactant and the product for DNA polymerase. We use DNA strands and we make more DNA strands. RNA polymerase 2 uses DNA as its reactant, but its product is RNA, specifically the mRNA strand. And it's just worth noting that because we are going to be discussing these enzymes a lot. With that being said, we can now transition into the second to last part of this module. I'm sorry, this is getting so long, um, but it's mRNA processing. This is actually really easy, um, so I'll, I'll zoom through it. Um, uh, so after RNA polymerase 2, which I just described, after RNA polymerase 2 has created the mRNA strand, that's what we were talking about, right? In the process of transcription, uh, RNA polymerase 2 makes the complementary mRNA strand from the DNA strand. After we've done that, this mRNA strand isn't done yet. In fact, we actually call this pre-mRNA because it's, it's, it's not ready yet to do all the traveling. Okay, it must be processed via two phases, protection and splicing, okay? So number one, protection. In a nutshell, uh, a nucleotide or nucleotide sequences um, are attached to, the, to both ends of this mRNA strand to prevent degradation so that it doesn't react with anything on its way to the ribosome. Specifically, a nucleotide is attached on one side, this is known as a uh, cap, the five prime cap, because it attaches to the five prime end of the, the the nucleotide, the G nucleotide, uh, and then a nucleotide sequence. So a, multiple nucleotides attach on the three prime end, and this is known as a tail. Okay, so the five prime, 
five prime cap on one end, the three prime tail on the other. Okay, so the five prime end uh, of the nucleotide is the cap, and it's attached to the five prime end. The long sequence of adenine nucleotides is the tail. This is actually called the poly A tail. That's the official name. The official name of the cap is the five prime cap. The official name of the tail is the poly A tail. You might okay. Let's kind of tear this apart. Why isn't it just called a tail? Uh, poly indicates multiple nucleotides, and A indicates what type of nucleotide. What nucleotide is it? It's adenine. It's just a bunch of adenine nucleotides. Okay. Um, and this is attached at the three prime end that I've already told you that. Um, and so this is that uh, on either side, this is how the mRNA strand is protected, okay? Uh, and the easy way to remember this is that uh, if you remember a cap and a tail, uh, seeing as a facing up nucleotide has a five prime at the top and a three prime at the bottom, you can kind of remember five as the cap and three as the tail. If you remember from that, that pentagon structure I drew, remember with the phosphate group and all that, five is on top and three is underneath it. So the five prime, five prime cap and poly A tail protect the mRNA transcript from enzymes in the cytoplasm. They're called exonucleases. And that is a huge thing we're going to talk about later. Um, it gives you a definition. I'll talk about it. Uh, exonucleases target RNA molecules as exposed five prime ends. And these exonucleases are present in the cytoplasm. They do work. So we want to avoid that because we want to keep this mRNA strand intact, right? We don't want it to be reacting and being broken apart or used up. So this is why we give it the tail and the cap. Number two, so we're 50% of the way done with processing. Number two involves splicing. And this is just the removal of introns. So introns are non-coding uh, RNA sequences. They're RNA, RNA sequences that contain no protein synthesis info, right? When we think about it in high school, we think, okay, the whole strand is, every part of the strand is used uh, to generate a protein, right? No, that's not it. There are sections that are used, but there are sections that are kind of just there. Right? And those are called the introns that don't really do anything. So these spliceosomes, which uh, they, they come and they locate these introns, these really the useless sections, and they snip them out, then fuse the exons back together. Okay? So introns are the useless non-coding part. Exons is the gold. That's what we want is the exons. Exons do stuff for us. Introns are just kind of there. So we splice out the introns using spliceosomes. And then in addition to cutting it, right? because if you cut, you know, them out that now you have two fragments that are separated the spliceosome fuses these the strand back together okay um so introns contain no protein synthesis info whereas exons contain protein synthesis info and are rna sequences okay so so what we just did is we took our pre-mrna which didn't have the protection and it had all these useless introns in it and we processed it through these two processes uh, and we basically uh, made it primary or mature mRNA. So both of these terms are, uh, are correct. There's mature mRNA and there's primary uh, mRNA, which is the intron-free sequence with the two protections on the end. Closing out this long module, I will be discussing RNA interference. And this is, uh, this is another, it, I didn't find it as easy as the protection concept, but it's really not too bad. This is the event of mature RNA never reaching the ribosome, right? So, so we just, we already talked about transcription, right? RNA polymerase made the uh, mRNA strand for us. Then we talked about mRNA processing. Right, all happening in the nucleus where we took our, you know, our basically our incomplete or imperfect mRNA strand and made it into its perfect, exactly what we needed form. Now we're at the point where some mature RNA never reaches the ribosome for protein synthesis due to interception and incapacitation by harmful proteins. So this is literally like attacked on its way to the ribosome. The module shares an example of RNA interference, specifically the Ebola virus. 
Uh, and the Ebola virus, like most viruses, is just a transcription machine, meaning it, you know, they look very complicated, but they actually have two inner components, which is the viral genome itself. They have their own genetic code, a small and simple chromosome, and they also have a polymerase enzyme. And this is literally what they have on the inside. So, you know, they're very bare bones, only what is necessary kind of thing. These viruses infiltrate cells, um, and then they're, the polymerase that they contain, uh, polymerase is used to synthesize mRNA, which I told you about, how the differences between DNA polymerase and RNA polymerase always synthesize strands. So the virus has this polymerase allowing it to synthesize an mRNA strand. Uh, this then uses the host ribosomes, uh, the host replication machinery, specifically um, ribosomes and even intranuclear stuff um, to generate its own viral proteins, which are, and these proteins are able to make more Ebola viruses. So this is actually kind of an overview of viruses in general. Okay. Um, so the module then shares the solution um, to the presence of these viruses, uh, specifically RNA interference, um, uh, and that is RNA interference in the form of siRNA, if you're familiar with it, short interfering RNA, and CERNA, if, if you, as it's called, silences the expression of complementary mRNA. Okay, which is the viral RNA. I want to make that clear. When I say complementary mRNA in this situation with the presence of Ebola viruses or other viruses, the complementary mRNA is the viral RNA. In other words, the RNA that the virus produced using its polymerase after it infiltrated the cell. So the CERNA silences these viral RNAs by because CERNA, uh, you know, uh, short interfering RNAs are complementary to these viral R mRNAs. And so they bind to these viral RNAs and kind of really fill their spots. They can't bind to something because they're bound to the siRNA. And so this prevents the viral, the host ribosomes from using them to synthesize more viral proteins. Okay. So in short, because I know that was kind of complicated, and this is really the end of the module, um, viruses want to make viral proteins to make more virus. That's what they do. Their goal is to make proteins so they can make more of themselves. Uh, virus infects a cell and makes viral mRNA uh, using ribosomes and its own polymerase to do this. Um, uh, siRNA, which is engineered to be complementary to viral RNA, binds to viral RNA, blocking ribosomes' use of it because it fills its spaces. And I want to make that clear that siRNA is not something that is found naturally to, you know, be complementary to various um, viral mRNA strands, but rather this is something that we generate. We analyze viruses, vinyl, viral genomes and uh, sequences, and we generate something, a strand that is complementary to that. And we call this engineering invention uh, SIRNA. SI